Now, you guys uh, started a whole kind of theme for this month on the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does in our lives. And I want to just continue on with what Pastor Aaron was speaking about last week, but just really contextualize the message in the context of prayer. And you're at the start, this is day two of 21 days, and we want our prayer to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. It's very easy when we pray to be trying to think of things to pray. What should I pray now? How should I pray? Would, if I pray it this way, would God listen and hear me and answer? If I pray it that way, would he think, what an amazing prayer. That prayer that bloke prayed, that was awesome. Gabriel, just go down, answer his prayer, because the articulation of that was phenomenal, you know. <laughs> just, just go and give him that answer, because I was so impressed, you know. And sometimes we think we have to impress God or pray in the right way. Did, did I get it right? Did I say the right thing? And what we want to do this morning is kind of just look a little bit in the Word and see how does the Holy Spirit enable us to pray? How do we pray in line with the Word of God? And also just maybe look at something to help us understand not just who we are as an individual when we pray, but what does it mean when we come together as a body, as a church, as a people? What what does that look like and the power and the authority that God has given us as the church to pray his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So the message this morning is called I Dare You. And uh, we we brought a message similar to this recently in our own church. And it wasn't about I Dare You to pray, but it was a bit more like God saying, hey guys, dare to pray boldly, dare to pray courageously, dare to pray in a way that you're going to see change and transformation in situations around you, in the region where you live, in our, you you call it a state, we call them counties, and also then in your nation. Believe me, to see more than you've ever seen, to go beyond where you've been before. How many of you want to see that in the next 21 days? And this can be a launch pad into something more with God, not just on your own individually, but also together as a church in terms of what God wants to do. So we want to pray boldly, courageously, and effectively in terms of uh, what God wants to do during the, uh, the next few weeks. So here's a question for you. What is prayer and why do we pray? What is prayer? In its simplest form, prayer is agreement with God. So we have our own relationship with God where we develop that relationship. We're talking with God. He's talking to us. We're listening to him. We're, we are praying. It's relationship but there's also another aspect of prayer, which is what the 21 days is like. We, we have 21 days of prayer and fasting in our own church, and we've got a week of prayer and fasting in September as everybody comes back after the summer holidays. And what we want to do when we come together to pray is we want to see change. We want to see transformation take place in situations. And so we're, what we're doing when we pray, firstly, we're agreeing with God. We're agreeing with what He wants to do in a situation But then why do we pray? We pray because things need to come into alignment with him. How many of you know that everything in Carlsbad in this area is not necessarily in alignment with him? How many of you know that the state of California is not necessarily living in alignment with God? Anybody agree? I keep getting told that California is the most liberal state in America. Does it have to stay that way? Two of you are believers this morning. Brilliant. (laughs) We are. We're going to have an awesome time in the next 45 minutes. Hopefully by the end, there's a few more believers in the room. And we're going to come to some things that might challenge our faith and challenge us a little bit and help us to see how God sees us as his people on earth in a different way. 
Because God wants us to rise up a little bit in the next few weeks. We're not here to be victims. We're not here just to go with the status quo. We're not here to be Kesarasara people that just say, well, that's the way it is and that's the way it's going. And hopefully if I pray a bit that, you know, I might be okay. No, we're here to see a change. We're here to see transformation. We're here to see a turning around of what's going on in this nation, in this state, in this region, this town, this area. Amen. Come on, guys. This is who we are as the church. And we're going to unpack some things in the word that show us what God has put in place on earth that he calls the church. or he call, he, There's another name for it, but he calls the people of God on earth. So what does it mean to come into alignment with him? What does alignment mean? Well, Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, they said, hey, Jesus, we've seen you praying. When you pray, it's, it looks different than when the Pharisees pray. When you pray, you seem to get answers. When you pray, things seem to happen. So how do you pray? And so Jesus says, hey, guys, this is how you pray. And, he, and, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. He didn't just give, him it, give them something just to pray lines. He said, it starts with our Father. It starts with relationship. And he said, our Father who art in heaven. Then he said, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Reverence to your name. And he's saying here, there's relationship, and part of that relationship is worship, is adoration, is being in awe of who God is, because he's holy. But then the next thing Jesus said was then give the purpose to that relationship and why we worship, why we give him adoration. He then said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus didn't start with worship, you know, uh, relationship and worship God. The first thing wasn't, and give me everything I need for my life. He started with your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's all, it's, it starts with God. It carries on with God. It's all about God. All right. So where does alignment start then? Alignment starts with you and I. And alignment starts with us being in a place of agreement with God. So if we're going to have 21 days of prayer that are going to be effective, that are going to see results, where there's going to be outcomes, we're going to see things change, then we need to align our thinking, our understanding, and our perceptions and how we see things. We need to align those with how God sees things. And what God is saying about situations, about what God wants to do. So we want to align. So that means we submit our thoughts, our understanding to what God is saying. So when we come to pray, we want to say, God, what do you want to do in this situation? How do you see it? How do you want me? How do you want us to pray together to see a breakthrough or to see a change in this situation? So when you come and pray during the 21 days, there's prayer meetings every weekday morning, 6 till 7. And uh, it's going to be some worship. Then somebody's going to give a few minutes of direction from the word. And then we're going to have half an hour or so to pray on our own and just pray and press into God. And then the last 15 minutes is gathering together to then pray together to see change out there in people's lives, households, communities, the region, the state and the nation. That's why we pray to bring everything that is not in alignment with God to bring it into alignment with God. And so if that's what prayer is, and, and, and that's what it means to bring things into alignment, then God has given us an assignment as the church. And so let's look at Mark chapter 11 and see what is that assignment that God has given us as the church on the earth. 
So this is in the context where the one Jesus went into the temple many times in Jerusalem and taught the people. But there was one particular day where he went in, and it was the day that he overturned all the tables and uh, of the money changes and the lenders and everything they were doing. And he went in there because they were ripping the people off. They were when they came to buy an animal to sacrifice, and then you know in their worship to the Lord back then in that day. They were ripping the people off. And Jesus came in and he said, Is it not written that my house would be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves or a den of robbers? And so Jesus at that moment, he says, My house would be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, what was he talking about when he said, My house? Well, he was in the temple. The temple represented the place where people went to worship. So there was an outer court, there was an inner court, and then there was what's called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the Ark of the Covenant uh, housed and, and carried the presence of God. And so what Jesus was saying is where the presence of God is, where God's presence is, where he resides, where he dwells, that's where the house of prayer is. Now, when you become a believer, when you and I give our lives to Christ, and he comes into our lives... He comes to live in us. He comes to dwell in us. So when Jesus said, my house would be called a house of prayer, he wasn't saying this temple, this building would be a house of prayer. What he was saying is wherever the presence of God is, because he comes to live in people, that's where that person can become a house of prayer. And then as we're going to see, when we come together as the church, as the body of Christ, we then become a house of prayer for all nations. So Jesus was talking, wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about the place where the presence of God is going to reside, where the presence of God is going to remain, where the presence of God is going to dwell. And so a house of prayer then is established in our lives. So God has called us to be a praying person, but together a praying people. We're going to unpack this a little bit to understand that a bit more. So to be a house of prayer for all nations is local to global. It's starting with the one, but going to the multitudes. Alignment with God in prayer, being a house of prayer for all nations, it's going to start locally. We're praying for friends and family, the workplace, our community. We want to see things that are not in alignment with God change to come into alignment with God. Then we're going to be praying for things to do with our nation, government, politics, business, media, education, because we want to see a change in those things. How many of you know that a lot of things going on at that level are not what God wants them to be? I don't know what it's like over here, but in our education system, there's a huge challenge at the moment uh, to do with uh, LGBTQ, the sexual identity and everything else that, that uh, they wanted to bring it, well, they are bringing it into our education system at the moment for seven, eight, nine, six, seven, eight year, nine year olds to be taught certain things. And, and, uh, there's a, there's a lot of challenges around all of that, and the church is rising up in prayer. There are people that are trying to, uh, in the right way, oppose that or, or change that. But there's a huge kind of movement and momentum to, to I'll even use the word brainwash, you know, the next generation with something, that they take certain things for granted. And that's just one example in our education. It's probably the same here. Maybe even in this state it might be, already in place. I, I don't know what's going on in your education system. But we're not here just to go, oh, well, never mind. We're here to say, no, that is not right. And we begin to see a change by beginning to pray and hit things in prayer 
and from a place of prayer, God will begin to give strategy. He will begin to give steps that need to be taken. And some of the things we pray into, we might not be the person in, in a bigger issue that might be on the end of that prayer, but the prayer that we pray as a church in line with God's will in relation to some of these key issues are going to fuel the fire for those people that are called to be in those places as we pray for them and the presence of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, wisdom and everything else they need on their lives to be who they're called to be in those spheres. And so we want to, as a church, be rising up to pray into those things at that level as well, expecting change to take place. Anybody believe that? All right. And we also want to pray for nations. So with this assignment of being called to be a house of prayer, a people of prayer, God gives us a mandate. And a mandate is a command. A mandate is a directive. A mandate is a clear instruction. A mandate also means an authorization, that you're given authority to speak and to act in a particular way in relation to the authority of the one who has given you a mandate to do something. And God has given us a mandate as the church. And we're going to look at this in Matthew 16 now, a few verses in there. What is this mandate that God has given us? How does God see his body on earth needing to operate spiritually in prayer? So let's have a look at uh, Matthew 13. It says here, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus is asking this question uh, in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Has anybody been there in the last service? There are a few people that have been there. Great, a few of you. The, the Caesarea Philippi at the time was probably considered the darkest place spiritually in Israel. If you go there, uh, what you'll find is, is, is still there to, to a certain degree is these many caves. As you kind of look up at the side of the, of the, the, the hill, there are many caves and in those caves, there were various altars and temples that were set up to worship different idols and different gods and, and everything else that the people gave themselves to at that time. And one of the caves was actually called the Gates of Hades, the Gates of Hell. And uh, there was all kind of, the ultimate uh, act of worship at the Gates of Hell was child sacrifice and also linking it to the god of Pan, which was another one of the temples alongside it, and altars was to sacrifice your, your, your children. And, and we, we have that going on now. It's called abortion. And, and you guys, some of the things that are happening in your nation uh, is amazing in relation to abortion compared to the UK. I mean, you've got some states saying no to abortion, haven't you? You've got some doing the six-week law. Is it called six-week law or whether it's called heartbeat law? And I know others are at the other end of the extreme where they're saying up to the birth you should be able to terminate a child. So you've got the extremes, but at least you've got some states that are standing up and rising up. Uh, and, and one of the things we're contending for in our own nation is to see a change in the abortion laws in our nation. I know it's a, I know it's a, a hot topic and it's not something you need to talk about, but, but this, these are one of the things, some of the things we need to pray into. And, and God is answering the prayers of the church in this nation because people are praying into that. And God is using your president in, in certain ways to hit some of this stuff. Sometimes God raises up people to lead nations that are like bulldozers. 
don't know if you call them that here. Bull, you know what a bulldozer is? You know, a big dirt moving machine. I don't know if you call it. Would, is that what you call them here? Bulldozer? Okay. And, and Trump is a bulldozer. Scripturally, Trump is a, um, what do you call him? Cyrus. And uh, God raises up Cyruses in nations. And not everything they do might be godly or the way they act, but he raises people up to shift things and to move things uh, in, 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 as to more how God wants them to be. And he'll use them. Often what happens, if you read the Old Testament, the people pray and God moves and he raises up somebody to bring change. And, and often then alongside those people, God raises up prophets to speak into their lives to help them make right decisions in alignment with what God wants to do. And, and, and Trump is one of those guys. We've just got a new prime minister, uh, uh, Boris Johnson. And he's a, he's a bit like, he's a little bit like Trump uh, as well. He's, he's a bit out there. He's, you don't, he's a bit left field. You don't know what he's going to do or say next. The guy knows what he's doing. And, uh, and he's another Cyrus that God is going to use. And he's already, he's only been prime minister two weeks, but he's already turning the tables on a lot of political stuff. He's already shifting things. And the church, we're praying for him in our nation. Morally, he's all over the shop. He's all over the place. But yet God's going to use him as a Cyrus in our nation to help bring change and push some things through in a way that need to be changed. Anyway, that's a bit of a side note. So getting back to... Uh, <laughs> Getting back to this, Caesarea Philippi, very ungodly place. But in that place, Jesus asked his disciples a question. In the middle of all this ungodliness, all this idol worship, in this culture, in this setting that you live, you could translate this, in California. He then says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And, he's, and they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then he said to them, okay, guys. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I believe God wants us to ask us this question today. In the midst of what's going on, who do we say that Jesus is? Because it's on the revelation that we have of who Jesus is that, one, we're going to live our lives. Because the revelation that you have of who Jesus is in your life determines the convictions that you have on the inside of you as to how you then live, how you speak, how you act, the decisions you make and everything. So he then replied to, um, uh, who do you sound? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And so what's he saying to Peter? He's saying, look, in the midst of all this idol worship and all these altars, and everything else going on around you, you've had a revelation. Something's being revealed to you that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he says to him, hey, Peter, and on that rock, on that revelation of who I am, I'm going to build my church. But he doesn't, Jesus doesn't use the word church in the way that we understand the word church. He used the word ecclesia. Now, the word ecclesia means assembly. It means a group of people that are uh, called out. That's, it does mean that. But we've, as the church, that we've left it at that. But it means far more than just an assembly of people that gather together to worship and to, and to listen to a message or whatever. We, we've brought it down to, to that level. Jesus, Jesus used a word called ecclesia. And what he's saying is, on this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia. Okay, now... He knew, by using that word, he knew the disciples would know exactly what he meant. Ecclesia was a Roman word, and it was used in the Roman Empire, and what it represented 
was the people that governed a city or a region, that group of people that gathered together to govern, they were called ecclesia. And they governed and they legislated. They made all the laws up. They said, this is how it's going to be. This is what the laws are. They governed and legislated. They were called ecclesia. And so when Jesus, in the midst of all this stuff, where there was idol worship, false god worship, he said, who do you say I am? On that revelation that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm going to build my people, my gathered people, to be people who govern and legislate in the spirit to see my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because that's how Jesus taught them to pray. When you pray, you're going to pray as the ecclesia. You're going to pray as people who govern. You're going to pray as people who legislate things in the spirit to see a change take place to bring things into alignment with me in the way that I want them to be on earth as they are in heaven. Is there anybody that believes that this morning? I know some of you might think, whoa, hang on a minute. This is, I thought we were just going to have 21 days of a bit of hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Would you bless me in the workplace? All of that. God does that. But there's, some, there's more that he's called us to be as the church. And we need to understand that God is raising up his kind of church, his ecclesia. See, what we've done in Western Christianity to, to a certain degree, less or greater degree, is we've made God, it's like, it's like God's here for me to bless me rather than I'm here to serve him and to be here for his purposes. You know, if we, when we lay our lives down, when we surrender to be a Christian, to be a believer, we're basically saying, God, I surrender. My life is not my own any longer to do what I want with. My life now belongs to you. So God, would you come and fill me with your life? Would you lead this life that now belongs to you in the way that you want it to be, that serves you, honors you, and brings you glory on earth. That's what it really means to be a Christian. And as we give our lives in that way, what has the word said? When you seek his kingdom, uh, first his kingdom and righteousness, it says then everything else will be added. So if we get after God, if we go after God in our lives, as we surrender ourselves and press into God, He'll take care of what you need. He'll take care of stuff. He'll take care of this, that, and the other. But as we put his, him, him first and his kingdom of righteousness first, we'll see a release of God in our lives. But so much of what we've done in Western Christianity, we've focused everything around ourselves. Often when Paul the Apostle teaches in the New Testament, when he writes to the churches in different places, he uses the word you a lot. This is who you are in Christ. This is who Christ is in you. And and what we've done in our, in our English trans, our Western translations is we've translated the word you into a very singular individual form. And we, we've taken the, the word of God and we've, we've personalized it, which it is, it is personal because it's a relationship with God, but we've personalized it more to the individual than what Paul actually was saying because most of the time when he used the word you, it was a plural word used in the Greek that actually said, you as a body of people, this is who you are in Christ. This is who Christ is in you. This is the authority you have as a body of believers, as the body of Christ, as the church. Because none of us on our own can see the transformation that needs to happen out there. But together as the body of Christ, being the ecclesia who God has called us to be, being a kingdom people on earth, who are praying things boldly, courageously, to see change happen on an unprecedented level. How many of you, that's why you've come here this morning. 
Well, you might not have thought you were, but now you do know why you're here this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to just read you a story at the end of the message that will just that started with a handful of people beginning to pray, but it led to nations being transformed and something powerful happening within our lifetime a few years ago. So Jesus said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. But then what does he say? And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So they're standing in front of this cave called the gates of Hades, and he's saying to these guys, the people I've called you to be, the ecclesia, The council of people, if we can use that word, the gathering of people I've called you to be, is going to overcome all of this lot that you see. And not even the gates of hell are going to be able to overcome this people who live and pray and believe in that way. I love that, don't you? And then what does he say? He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So he says this in front of all of this scenario. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's he saying? I'm going to give you keys to my kingdom. I'm going to give you keys that are going to unlock stuff. They're going to unlock my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's going to overtake all of this lot. But what does it actually mean in these verses? It says, when you bind on earth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. How many of you know the word whatever means whatever you bind on earth? The the actually true translation means whatever you bind on earth will have been bound already in heaven. And what you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. So we're not trying to pray something that needs to happen in heaven first because there are no issues in heaven. There isn't anything bound up in heaven. There isn't anything that needs to be loosened off in heaven. And so what is he saying? He said that basically what Jesus is saying, there are things on earth that need to be unbound, that need to be loosened, broken off, so there can be freedom, there can be healing, there can be deliverance, there can be my kingdom coming. And he said, when you pray, that's why we're in agreement with God, because we're agreeing with what already has been released in heaven, so that we then see it released on earth. Got any believers here this morning? Just turn to the person next to you. I'm glad I came this morning. And I'm glad he's going home at the end of this meeting. Okay, so Caesarea Philippi, darkest spiritual place, but yet Jesus was saying, we're going to overtake this lot. You might live in California and say, this is the most liberal state in the nation. But does it have to stay that way? Does it have to stay that way? We need to allow the Holy Spirit to put a conviction on the inside of us that we do not just say, well, that's the status quo. That's the way it is. Because God wants to raise up the body of Christ in this state to be indignant, adamant that the purposes of God are going to break through the issues of what's going on in society. You might say, Clive, you're from another nation. You don't know what our state's like. It's a pipe dream. Sometimes things start with a dream, a thought. Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be nice? What if? And then you bring that before God and you say, God, I just love it, but I don't know if I can believe it. I don't know. And God says, let me just speak to you. Let me speak life to you. Let me give you some hope. Let me just give you some faith. Just start with where you are. Start with what I give you and begin to pray that. Begin to see a little bit of change. Let your faith grow. The people around you, the circumstances around you, things in your workplace, in your community, begin to see some change, some transformation. Let your faith grow and then let's step into more. But whatever you do, do it boldly. Do it with confidence. And then that steps us into 1 John chapter 5. I think these are probably two of the most powerful verses in the Bible in relation to prayer. 
He says here, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. This is the boldness. This is the courage that we can have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, how many of you know what anything means? Anything means, it means the same here as it does in England. Yeah, anything. If we ask anything according to his will. That's really important. If we ask anything according to his will, what does it then say? He hears us. How many of you want your prayers answered? How many of you want to know that God hears you when you pray? Well, how do we know how to pray? Well, let's pray in line with his word. Okay, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to pray for my workplace? How do you want me to pray for my boss? How do you want me to pray for my work colleagues? How do you want to pray for my neighbor? How do you want me to pray for my community? How do you want me to pray for the people in my street? How do you want me to pray for California? God, I need your word because faith is released from your word and faith comes from hearing your word and what you're saying to me. I don't want to pray out of a place of, of despair or, or, or well, I, I just pray because I think, you know, I want to pray from a place of faith, a place of courage, a place of confidence, a place of boldness where I'm not going to put up with the negative because you want to replace it with your positive instead. So he says, we have confidence in approaching. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, look what it then says, whatever we ask, whatever means whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Wow. Talk about an assurance of your prayer being answered right there in the word. And so we, we want to pray in line with the word. So when you come and pray in the next few weeks, early in the morning, just come knowing God's going to speak. He's going to give you things to pray. It's not about how many words we pray. It's not about, oh, if I just pray loads, that will get God to do loads. You know, we, it, we're not heard from many words. Jesus said that. When you pray, go into your room on your own, shut the door. And, and, uh, and he said all that stuff in the context of other people being out in public praying, trying to look spiritual and look good. And he said, no, don't try and look good and do all of that. Just get in your room with, with the Father and, because you're not heard from many words. And when you pray, you're going to be rewarded, it says, openly. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to look at you and go, what an amazing prayer person you are. What, what, you're going to, what that means is whatever you pray in the secret place. Now, when you come and pray at 6 o'clock in the morning, you might be with others, but together we're in the secret place. The world doesn't know we're meeting in a room to pray for them. But we're in this place. We've shut the door. We're getting in there with God. We're praying his word, his will, his heart into being. And then we're going to see that because Jesus is a promise from God. What is done in secret will be rewarded openly. We'll see the fruit of it, the result of that out there in people's lives. It's going to need some actions that go with it. But often, often the effective actions are accompanied because there's been effective prayer. And so where there's effective prayer, don't be surprised if God starts leading you into situations to be part of the answer of seeing that outwork. So if you want to see answers, you might be the person who's going to deliver that answer. Is that okay? So let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 6. Let's just kind of rattle through some of this quickly. Take the helmet of salvation. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. He's, it's in the context of a spiritual battle. He says, your fight is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual one against principalities and powers and the darkness of this world. And he's talking in this context and talking about the armor of God. But what does he say here, verse 17? Take the helmet of salvation. Have the mind of Christ. Where does the devil bombard us in our lives? Right there. If the enemy can undermine our faith, undermine what we believe by speaking lies and, and all sorts of stuff into us. So, so what does Paul say? He says, put on the helmet, put on the protection, put on the mind of Christ, because the enemy doesn't have any, uh, any answer to the mind of Christ. 
What is the mind of Christ? And, and the sword of the Spirit, the Word. So the mind of Christ is, is the Word of God. Take the, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then what does he say? And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, sometimes when we hear that phrase, pray in the Spirit, sometimes we think, well, is, is that praying in tongues then? Is praying in the Spirit just praying in tongues? So if I pray in tongues, I'm praying in the Spirit. Well, when we pray in tongues, we are praying in the Spirit. But Paul the Apostle here doesn't say, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions in tongues. What he says here is, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, we've just seen from other scriptures we've read that if we pray according to his word, he hears us. And, and, and if he hears us, whatever we ask, we have what we've asked of him. And so what does it mean to pray in the spirit? It means to pray in line with God's word. It means to, it means to pray in line with what he's saying. So how do you know whether you're praying in the spirit? Am I praying what God wants to do in this situation? And then you can boldly and confidently know that God has given us what to pray so we begin to pray that, declare that, command that, and speak that. And therefore, we're praying in the Spirit. There's a release of God's Spirit to then perform and accomplish the Word through what we're praying, what He wants to do. And then Romans 8. Uh, these are great encouraging verses as well. Romans 8, 26. It says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How many of you, prayer, you don't find prayer the most natural thing to do? How many, you know, sometimes... I'll put my hands up for everybody. So um, <laughs> sometimes we kind of, we, we, we think, well, I don't know if I pray if anything's going to happen. And, and um, you know, I know somebody else, other people in the church are so much better at praying. When I hear so-and-so pray, it's amazing. It's like God must answer that. You know, it's, it's brilliant, you know, whatever. And sometimes we, we look at ourselves, I'm rubbish at praying. I don't know, I'm, I'm just not good at prayer. And I love the way that God works because he said, I've called you to be a house of prayer for all nations. But he doesn't say to us, now go and try and do it. He says, I've called you to be a house of prayer for all nations. I've called you to be an ecclesia, these governing legislative believers who don't put up with the status quo. But I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you everything you need to actually pray in that way. It's called the Holy Spirit. So God gives us his spirit in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. I've had that loads of times. You, you begin to pray, it's like, God, I don't know what to pray. I've got a clue what to pray here. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Don't you love that? So one of the things the Holy Spirit does in our lives is he prays for us. He's praying for us so that we then know what we need to pray. But he also wants to pray through us. So it says here, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And you think, wow, what kind of prayer is that? In the Bible, there are different types of prayer or, or intercession. And uh, one of the words used for prayer is called travail. It, is, the word travail is a French word. It, it means work, to work with the Holy Spirit. There's a work of the Spirit. And um, in here, Paul says, uh, intercedes with groans that words cannot express. And we can pray in English, uh, in our language. We can pray in tongues. Uh, but also sometimes there's a kind of prayer that, that is more what we call a burden. So another word for groan there, you can translate to the, the Holy Spirit prays for us with burdens 
with a burden that words cannot express. So if we think about the situation yesterday in, in um, El Paso for a moment, we can pray for the people there, but our prayer is more from a distance because they're a plane ride away and we're not in the midst of it. So that the impact of what has taken place 24 hours ago is less on us because we're not there. We're not on one level personally affected by it. And so therefore we can pray in a certain way about a situation. But imagine the people in the situation, how they might be praying. Something's happened in them and there's a, if we can call it a burden for a minute, they're praying in a completely different way because they're in the middle of it. And, and one of the things that God wants to do in our lives when we pray is that we don't pray into things from a distance. We know we need to pray for Carlsbad. We know we need to pray for our, the, the state that we live in. We know we need to pray for our nation, but we can do it at, the, at arm's length And because we acknowledge things need to change. And sometimes we can pray the right thing from here, but God wants to pray from here. He wants us to allow the Holy Spirit to lead our prayer. And so what does it mean to have a burden? When you're burdened, you're praying more with a heart and with a compassion. And sometimes you find yourself beginning to weep or cry when you pray because God's heart is beginning to break your heart for the person, for the situation or for whatever it is you pray. So in God's mind and eyes, prayer isn't just a function. Prayer isn't just something we do as the church. We don't have 21 days of prayer because it's just a good thing to do and God will feel better or we think God will look upon us more favorably. No, we pray because God has set prayer in place to be part of an agent of change and transformation for the world around us. And, and so God, during these next few weeks, you might find he gives you a burden and you begin to pray in a way that is, you're, you're, not, you're not trying to think about the words to pray anymore. You've, there's a burden there for a person or for a couple or for a household, a family to come to know him or for a situation that needs to be changed, whatever that might be. And you find yourself, I don't care what I'm praying. You just want to, you, you passionately begin to pray something out and you throw off the restraints because when you begin to have a burden, you're not keeping it all neat and tidy and all tucked in and, every, and, and, you, and you're thinking, well, the people I'm praying with, hopefully they think this is a nice prayer. When you begin to get a burden, you don't care what other people think about how you're praying and what you're praying because what, what the Holy Spirit wants to come out is, is the release of what God wants to do in that situation. Uh, are you there? Is that okay? So we need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in that prayer. Now, I just want to quickly, because time's going, Genesis 26, just a scenario in here to help us picture uh, the context of this ecclesia kind of prayer in terms of how God wants us to, to be. Genesis 26, a story about Isaac, and it says here in verse 1, there were, Now there was famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. So uh, in Abraham's time when there was a famine, he went down to Egypt. And Egypt was a place of supply and resource and everything they needed. In this famine, it says here that Isaac went to uh, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar. And in that context, verse 2, it then says, The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go to Egypt. Do not go down to Egypt. But live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. So there's a famine going on, but God says to him, don't go to the place of natural resource and supply. Don't go to the place that you would like to go to. I want you to stay here in the midst of famine because there's something I want to do in the middle of it. 
And after he says, I'm going to be with you and bless you, he then says, he reiterates the promises, the covenant that he made with his father Abraham. He reiterates those promises to him in his generation that he's going to bless him and the nation and the descendants that are going to come from him and that the nations are going to be blessed as a result. So he reiterates that and encourages him. And so it says, Isaac then stayed in Gerar. Now, in the middle of that famine, in the middle of that situation that was going on, verse 12 then says, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold. Well, that's not normal. That's not normal. You don't normally sow seed in famine and get any return. But he got a hundredfold return. Why? Because in the famine, God said, this is where I want you to be. And this is what I want you to do. And in this place, I'm going to bless you. And famine is going to turn into a harvest. Famine is going to turn into abundance. Because I'm going to do something beyond your natural ability. So God wants, uh, in one sense... Anybody and anything around our lives, anybody that doesn't know God, they're living in spiritual famine. The culture and the society that we live in, both here and, and, and back home, spiritually it's famine. And during these 21 days, or whenever we pray, beyond 21 days, what are, what are we doing in prayer? We are sowing life, we are speaking life, we are praying Things that are not as though they were. We're sowing stuff into famine out there. And as we, as we sow in prayer and we believe what God has said, and there'll be actions to it as well, famine is going to change into harvest. Famine is going to change into abundance. Anybody believe that this morning? That's why we're here as the church. That's why we're, this is what it's all about. Then uh, in, in, uh, as he was then being blessed and he had increase on his life in the midst of famine, the Philistines began to envy Isaac. So what they did is they went and filled all of the wells that his father Abraham had dug. They filled them all with earth. And uh, so why? Because they wanted to cut off the supply of water that he had for his flocks and his herds and all his crops, thinking if we can cut off the supply, then we're going to undermine his, his wealth and his ability and his, his influence and everything. And that's how the enemy kind of works in, in our lives. How many of you, you know where you're where you are spiritually because others have gone before you and paid a price to dig wells, to press into God, have revelation from him? Every one of us have heard other people teach and preach. Maybe some guys from a previous generation, maybe that have old and maybe even died. But we're living in the good of what other people have broken through for that now is like a legacy that we are living in the benefit of. How many of you know, I know I am, in my, in, and we are as a family, as a church, because in, in our situation, my own dad and who he is and what he's done and how he continues to press into God, we know there's well, there's a huge well that he's dug and others of his generation have dug, and there's water that is flowing from that that we're living in the good of. But then Isaac also knew he can't live off his father's Wells, he has to dig his own. And so what he began to do, he began to dig new wells. The first one he called dispute because when they dug it and they struck water, to strike water, there must be a river under the ground somewhere. I mean, there's got to be water down there. That's why they dig wells. And so he knew we've got to, we've got to see a fresh release of water in, in, in this moment, in this generation of time. They had disputes. So other shepherds from other places came. And they said, oh, we want some of this water. And there was dispute. 
Then so he, he dug another one, and the same thing happened, but he called it opposition. Then he went and dug a third one somewhere else, and there was no opposition there. And he says, basically, it, it, they call it the room to flourish, a place of increase. And sometimes when we pray, there's dispute, there's opposition. How many of you know that prayer, sometimes when you begin to pray into things, where the enemy seems to have strongholds in society and in the culture and in everything else, and, and we just pray, you know, one prayer in the name of Jesus. I mean, the enemy's like, well, is that all you got? It's going to take more than that. And, and this guy had opposition, but he didn't, he didn't stop after the first one and say, oh, well, it is, uh, you know, he said, no, we're going to, I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to keep digging until I get a breakthrough. So there's no opposition. There's no dispute. There's no, right, because there was something on the inside of him that knew, in my time, in my generation, I need to dig a well for what is happening now. So during this 21 days, don't just see it, I want to encourage you, not to just see it as just another thing you're doing in the church and then what's going to come next. See it as, right, I'm benefiting from what's gone before me in my life, but there's also a well that God wants me to keep on digging in my own life because in the way that I've benefited from a generation that's gone before me, I also want to dig a well that's going to leave a legacy for the generation coming after me and the 21 days is part of that kind of thing as a church. Do you understand that? I know some of this might be a little bit big picture or a bit like, whoa, this is a bit out there this morning. But it's important that we understand what we're doing when we pray. We're not just doing a religious activity. We're not just fulfilling something because it's on the church calendar to do in August. We, we gather together to see change happen out there. That's why we pray. It's to govern, to legislate in the spirit so that things change out there and to line them up with God's purpose. I want to encourage you in your own home. I think Pastor Aaron's going to do a series about God's lordship in the home. We've done that at home recently and it's great to see what's happening in families in the home because church starts in the home. It starts in your household. And There's another message. Anyway, I want to read you a story um, and hopefully this will encourage you and will inspire you. Hey, I'm going to be part of this 21 days of prayer and what God's going to do. There's a pastor in Leipzig, East Germany, in the early 80s. And he began a prayer meeting on a Monday evening. Initially, about 10 to 12 people were gathering to pray every Monday night. Uh, for, for It was when uh, the Berlin Wall was up and communism was, was the, the state of the, the day and everything. And they began to pray as the church into that. Seven years later, 8,000 people were meeting weekly to pray. One evening, they were crammed into St. Nicholas Church to pray for peace. Outside, there were barricades, beatings, and death threats from the authorities. The oppression of the Cold War regime weighed heavily on everyone. Outside in the streets and in other churches, there were as many as 70,000 people, other Christians, expressing their protests in prayer. The state, so this thing had gone from 10 or 12 people on, a, on a one Monday night at the beginning to 8,000 meeting in that place, but then another 50,000, 60,000 Christians praying in other places. And they all agreed to come out this particular night onto the streets, knowing that they could, they could be shot, they could be beaten, and all kinds of things could take place. And the, the pastor of this church, um, he said, uh, he says, the, the, uh, the state threatened to shut the prayer rally down by whatever means necessary. Then the pastor led his congregation out into the streets to join everybody else. They were clutching their candles, chanting, no violence, as they passed the dreaded secret police headquarters. 
Surprisingly, the police never opened fire. Within a week, the prayer rally grew to more than 120,000. That week, the East German leader resigned. Within a fortnight, the prayer rally attracted over 300,000 people. And then four weeks later to the day of that gathering of 300,000, the Berlin Wall came tumbling down. Some journalists and historians have identified the Leipzig prayer rallies as the tipping point in the fall of East German communism, a remarkable acknowledgement for a movement that had begun so quietly seven years earlier with a handful of people at a prayer meeting. Wow. Eight to ten for a period of time, seven years later, communism falls in East Germany. And not only that nation, but other nations then were impacted by what took place. What, what, are we, what do we conclude from that? The prayers of the saints, the prayers of the church, the prayers of the ecclesia were the tipping point that changed history and reordered the future of that nation. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Thank you, Jesus. Just maybe close your eyes for a minute. One of the things we encourage our guys to do just when we respond is maybe just lift your hands. And, and it's, this morning we're saying, Father, I just surrender afresh to you. Maybe as I'm just leading you for the next couple of minutes before we worship to finish, um, just put your own, what is going on in your own heart at this moment, put words to that uh, in the next couple of minutes. So maybe just, Father, I, I just come to you and I surrender afresh to you at the beginning of these 21 days. I want to I wanna be in agreement with you. I want to be in alignment with you. But I also want to be in agreement and alignment with the body here. Thank you, you called me to be part of the ecclesia. You called me to be somebody who helps to govern and legislate spiritually. Thank you that I'm not here by accident. I'm not here just to make up the numbers. You've called me here by your purpose and design to be part of the answer, to see breakthroughs, to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, I just invite you right now, would you just come upon me? Would you fill me afresh? Holy Spirit, I want to be led by you in these next few weeks. Sometimes I don't know what to pray, but I thank you, Holy Spirit. You know exactly what to pray. You know how to show me to pray. And Holy Spirit, I want to be dependent on you in these next few weeks. I want to learn how to pray. I want to learn how to be led by you. I want to, be, I want to learn how to be in agreement and align with you in a greater way than I've ever known. And Father, I thank you for what you're going to do in my own life, in my own family and household. I thank you for what you're going to do in Carlsbad, in my community, in this state of California. I thank you for what you're going to do in the nation. And Father, this is all for your glory. All that your name is honoured and magnified in my own life and beyond. And so, Jesus, we want to give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. And we lift up your mighty name. We thank you. We praise you. We give you adoration for who you are and what you're going to do. Come on, guys. Let's just praise him and worship him this morning.